But that's how the gospel rearranges our loves. It's not something we move past, but something we stand in. This is what the gospel does in a heart, even in entire church culture. As we grow in Christ, it humbles us. It renews us. It tears us down and builds us up. It changes us. So I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying that you would be a church that experiences, that continues to grow in the power of the gospel. If you're going to see the gospel take hold of this city, the city of Wichita, it begins with the wind of the spirit continuing to blow through your lives, changing this church and all of these churches into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is what he's committed to. This is what he's after, his glory in the city of Wichita. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse through, verses 1 through 4. Just a few verses we'll spend time looking at this morning. The sermon is entitled, Stand in the Gospel of Grace. Stand in the Gospel of Grace. I feel like a messenger of hope who has traveled internationally in the great nation of Texas to come and encourage you this morning with these truths, to stand in the gospel. Don't turn back, keep growing. On this final Lord's Day of 2017 to reevaluate our hearts together as the people of God. In our text, we'll see Paul's writing to a group of Christians who are navigating the currents of their culture. And in the midst of this navigation, he is calling them to hold fast to the truth. And in this text, we'll see three things, that we have received the gospel by grace, that we stand in the gospel by grace, and we are being saved by the gospel of grace. Let's read together verses one through four once again and just meditate on the truths of God's word. This is God's unbroken word, perfect through and through. And in these words are life for our souls. So here again, the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's once again pray. God, how glad our hearts are that you are the one who has spoken to us through your word. You've spoken to us through your son. That You speak to us by your spirit. So now I pray that you would give us hearts that are open to the ministry and the power of your word. Give us hearts that are humble and low, eyes that are confident and lifted up because of the completed work of Christ. Let the good news nourish and renew us this morning. I ask these things in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first thing that I want us to see from this text is that we receive the gospel by grace. 
We received the gospel by grace. You did not become a Christian because you kept the rules or because your parents were good people or because you grew up in RAs and GAs or that you're smart enough or good enough or God had to have you or his plan would fail. You became a Christian by grace. You did not deserve to be saved, but God put his love and glory on display in saving you from sin God looked through eternity and set his affection on you. He chose you and created you in order that he might show to you and through you the immeasurable riches of his grace. Each of us are a living story of God's grace. And we must regularly remember and reflect and retell the work that God has done in us and for us. That's why we're sitting here today. Each of us evidences of the grace of God. John Newton said it like this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Newton realized the sufficiency, the work of the grace of God in his own life. Paul writes of the work and sufficiency of the grace of God in his life. He doesn't want us to miss it. He wants us to see it and rekindle in our hearts the glory of God's grace. So when he sits down to write this letter, 1 Corinthians, he begins it by telling the people of the grace of God. He says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God. And when he starts signing off, he ends this letter with the same remarks, saying, may the grace of of the Lord Jesus be with you. And in each of the verses and chapters sandwiched in between, Paul wants us to see that the soundtrack of the Christian life is grace. That we are a people from first to last saved, carried, sustained, nourished by the attending grace of God from first to last. And when Paul thinks about how God's grace has captured him, he can't quit talking about it. He went everywhere telling of what Jesus had done in his life. I love how Luke records this in the book of Acts. Three times this conversion experience of Paul is recorded. He never got over telling it how grace had saved him. He kept proclaiming how the grace of God had worked so mysteriously and marvelously in his life. Just notice in verse one, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. It's not just that Paul modeled the sufficiency of God's grace with his life, he preached it, he proclaimed it. They had received the gospel by grace. How did you hear the good news? Just trace back for a moment in your thoughts. When was the first time that the news that God is holy, that man is sinful, that Christ is our only Savior, and we can respond by faith to this good news? When was the first time that hit home for you? Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. For me, it was my parents. Just in the early years of life, faithfully proclaiming, teaching the gospel to me. Who was that for you? Who first told you of Christ? Someone shared it with you. And someone shared it with them. And someone shared it with them. And it goes on and on. This was his plan. 
that we would be a gospeling people, proclaiming the good news from one generation to another, commending the works of the Lord. Just two quick points that I'd like to draw out from this, points of application, ways that we might use this text. One, who can you thank today for sharing the gospel with you? Who can you thank today? Maybe you can write a letter to the person who shared the gospel with you. Maybe that person's gone to be home with the Lord and you could just praise God for them. Let us be a grateful people expressing gratitude to those who have shared the gospel with us. I would attempt in front of you to communicate to my own parents gratitude for sharing the gospel with me, but I would start crying and then I can't speak, and so I'm gonna quickly move on. You can watch your mailbox. Second, who do you know that needs to hear the good news of the gospel? Who is it in your life that you could share with, even this day, the good news of Christ, that Christ has come to save sinners. We have received the good news of the gospel. I've been walking around your city this week. There are people in every neighborhood, in every business, in every street that need to hear the good news of the gospel. Could it be, surely it is, that God has placed and positioned Emmanuel Baptist Church right here in the heart of this city to continue faithful gospel proclamation. That's not just from the pulpit, that's through your lives. Surely this is why God birthed Emmanuel Baptist Church from its roots and has positioned it here to be a light and herald of the good news of the gospel. We received the gospel by grace. Go and tell of the grace of God to those around. The second thing we see in this text is that we stand in the gospel by grace. We stand in the gospel by grace. One of the most amazing things about Kansas is that in the winter, the ponds freeze over. And they're beautiful. See, this doesn't happen in Texas. I told my kids at home, if I told them at home in Texas to go and walk across a pond, they would know, well, only Jesus can do that. But you see, here in the magic of Kansas, you can walk across a pond. God changes the weather and the water freezes, and there you are standing where you could never stand before. We just did it this week. You might judge me for taking my kids out this early. They were mostly safe. <laughs> I know a grandpa who could have gone in after them. This is what the gospel does. This is how it is in the Christian life. We now stand where we could never stand before. We stand in the presence of God, fully accepted, fully welcomed. The smile of God has been fixed on us through Christ, and we're standing in it. When, when I hear Paul use this phrase, stand, I, I think of Psalm 1, where the psalmist, from the very beginning of his work, says there's two kinds of living. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord. Two kinds of living. So there are two paths, one righteous and one wicked. Two places to stand. One in the good of the gospel. Two under the judgment of God. There is nowhere else to stand. In the good of the gospel, in the judgment of God. 
So how do we stand in the gospel? If we're going to practice what Paul preaches, how do we then stand? I want to just clarify, maybe draw to the surface two things of how we stand. One, we stand in the gospel by standing under the authority of God's word. This is how we do this, by sitting under the preaching of God's word, by opening our Bibles in our homes with our spouse, with our kids, with our small groups, under the authority of God's word, to allow the word of God to have the loudest word in our lives. So as the enemy crouches at our door to submit our thinking, our feeling, our living to the authority of God's word. That's the first way we stand in the gospel, in the good news, is by placing our lives under how we know the good news, under the authority of scripture. The second way we stand in the gospel is by standing together. By standing together. Did you know we need one another by design? There are gifts that you have that others don't, the gifts that others have that you don't, and together the beauty of the body of Christ is built up and admonished, is strengthened. This is the only way we can stand in the gospel is by standing together in the body of Christ. This is why church membership matters. This is why your attendance Sunday after Sunday matters. Gathering together as the people of God, strengthening one another, helping one another, fighting for one another. So when you show up in your week, you can lean on the strength of others. You show up and you're brokenhearted, you can be encouraged by the strength of others. And when you see those who need encouragement and strengthening to pursue them because God has first pursued you, we stand in the gospel together. Where do you stand? Think about your life for a moment. At the start of 2018, you may find yourself on the brink of everything. Your career is blossoming, your relationships are strong, you have opportunities, the future seems to be teeming with opportunities. Or maybe when you look into 2018, you are paralyzed. All you see is fog and gray. You're filled with fear, uncertainty of what tomorrow holds. Where do you stand? For those of us who are in Christ, let me remind you where you stand. You stand in the gospel of grace. So the smile of God has been fixed upon you, not because of anything you've done, but because his grace has won you. You stand accepted, not because of your household income, not because of how many Facebook likes you receive or how many accolades you have won, but because you were chosen, called, adopted, loved, cherished and for thousands and thousands of years you will be in the unbroken presence of God your footprints all over the new earth loving one another loving these people for eternity and we'll be made new that's where we stand in this tension of the already not yet standing in the gospel like standing on the frozen ponds of Kansas we don't know how we got here. It's an absolute miracle. It's a miracle that we're standing in the good of the gospel. And then finally, we are being saved by the gospel of grace. We see this in verses two through four. 
So we received the gospel by grace, we stand in the gospel by grace, and we are being saved by the gospel of grace. Now let me explain that language a little bit. It sounds a bit confusing. When Paul says we're being saved, it's the passive voice. It's not that we're holding on to God, but that he is holding on to us. The way he's saying this is that salvation is is happening to you. You're being saved by Christ and Christ will complete the good work he has begun in you. When Paul says we're being saved, he has in view the entire scope of salvation. Justification, glorification, uh, sanctification, and glorification. And there's an already not yet perspective to this. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. So justification, it's, that's, that's this alreadiness of our salvation. We are people who have been saved. So right now we stand fully forgiven, fully accepted by the Father, wrapped in the completed work of Christ like a warm blanket. Nothing we can do to undo that. Justified, just as if we've always obeyed the law, just as if we'd never committed a sin, accepted. So Paul has that in view. We're also being saved. This is the process of sanctification. So for some of us, it's two steps forward and one step back, fumbling forward, being carried every step by the grace of God. And then glorification. Let me just remind you on the last day of this year what awaits us in Christ. Eternity with him. All things made new. I can't remember the the last time a year has ended where I have so groaned for all things to be made new. In a body that will never know decay, never know sickness, soul that will no longer know sin, but a people who have been perfected and glorified in the presence of God. So I told you I feel like a messenger of hope, but I'm not worth my salt as a messenger if I don't also give the warning that Paul brings here. A strong warning, a little passing warning, but one we must also look to. So in these final moments together, I want to look at two things. Both this warning for people who professed Christ, but did it, Paul says, in vain. And also an explanation of the very heart of what the gospel is. The warning comes like this. Paul says there, if you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So first, when Paul says we're to hold fast, he doesn't mean that we are the ones securing our salvation. But if we are people who've been born again, we will want to keep our souls, to tend our souls from the weeds of pride, from the predators of doubt, Paul makes this passing comment with a certain people in mind. People who had professed Christ externally, but not been born again by the Spirit. For us today, this would be those of us who were born in Christian homes. and Maybe made a profession of Christ at one point in our lives. But who have not really been born again from the inside out. Like John talks about in John chapter 3, Jesus with, with Nicodemus in the dark of night. Saying, you, you've kept all the rules Your outside looks great, but you need an inward change. Paul has these people in view. He says there's a way to believe wrongly in Christ. To believe in vain is the word Paul uses. 
If we're to put our spiritual stethoscope on or, and allow the physician of our souls to have his way in us, to diagnose us, what would be the signs of life for the Christian to know that we have not believed in vain? Well, surely at the heart of the matter is love for God and for his people. We see that in the great commandment, to love God, to love his people. We could also see, do we genuinely have a desire to follow him, to repent of sin and pursue Christ? Unless you believed in vain. Is your faith genuine? And finally, we see Paul's explanation of what is of first importance, he says. So he cuts to the heart of the matter with a little three-point sermon. So for the next 45 minutes, I'd like us to walk through this. I love that y'all think that was a joke. This is Paul's little three-point sermon right here in these verses. One, and this is the heart of the matter for Paul. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. You see it there? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That means, as in, he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Christ we might be the righteousness of God. Christ died for us. Oh, that's good news. Don't let that good news grow cold on your heart. Push that toward the fire. Let that stay warmed in your heart. The good news that Christ has died for us. In accordance with the scripture means God's always been whispering this promise from Genesis 3.15. The first whisper that a deliverer would come who would crush the head of the serpent. That God would one day make all things new. Christ has died in accordance with the scripture, fulfilling the word of God, fulfilling the law of God. Second, Christ was buried. The real body of Christ was really buried in a tomb, which gives way to the third point of Paul's sermon, that Christ rose on the third day bodily. This is what we believe as Christians, that the real bodily resurrection of Christ and the real bodily return of our Messiah on that day in order that he would make all things new. This is why we have full confidence that we also will be raised on that last day and that we will be running through the new world one day with life everlasting. Today, our sins can be fully forgiven. We can be the people of God, washed and renewed. So here we are, standing in the unshakable, inexhaustible grace of God. We're ice skating on his promises. Looking with the eyes of faith to the future that awaits us. Filled with hope in our hearts because all of the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. We have received the gospel by grace. We are now standing in the gospel by grace and we are being saved and will be saved by the grace of of Jesus Christ. I invite you if you would just to bow your head for a moment. I just want to address two groups of people that would be here in the room. For those of us who are in Christ, who have known his grace, would you just ask God to rekindle your own awareness of his grace in your life?
Pray that your heart would be warmed on this last day of the year. In the truthfulness of his word. And then secondly, for those of you who are here this morning and you may have never tasted and seen the goodness of God, the hope we have been given in the gospel of grace, whether you made a vain profession of faith earlier in your life or you've never professed Christ as your savior, my prayer for you today, would this would be the day of salvation. That you would recognize God as the holy, eternal God. Yourself as a sinner in need of a savior. You would look to Christ as the only hope of our salvation. And that with faith, your heart would be made new. So Father, I ask that as your people, we would hold fast to the word of truth, that it would be implanted in us in the fertileness of our hearts, bearing fruit, eternal, life-giving fruit. And for our friends who are here this morning without hope in Christ, that this would be the day of salvation. We praise you that you are the God who saves from first to last, and that we are a people with great hope unshakable hope because of what Christ has done. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.